Mohammed El Kurd is a young Palestinian author living in the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood of Jerusalem, Israel. About a week back, his family, along with a few other Palestinian families in the area, were threatened with eviction under the Israeli law by an American-registered Jewish NGO who had bought land in the neighborhood. What may have ended as a court case has turned into a full-fledged war and the potential genocide of Arabs by the State of Israel. Hi there and welcome back to Veritas Populi. In this episode, we will be discussing the potential genocide of Arabs in the Palestinian region by Israeli forces. This episode comes at a time when the conflict is in its bud and may not seem as serious. However, with every day passing, more and more people are dying and more lives are destroyed. So we will discuss in this episode the history and the reasons of the Israel-Palestine conflict, the current potential genocide and possible solutions to this war. Now, unlike the woefully misconstrued beliefs of so many people, this Israel-Palestine conflict is not 2,000 or 3,000 years old. It's 100 years old. It all began in the early 20th century with the development of a political movement amongst the Jewish community, Zionism, a political movement which aimed for Jewish homeland within the original Palestinian region. Organizations such as the World Zionist Congress were formed to encourage this sort of Jewish immigration to what they called Zion and is now Israel. Of course, like always, no one asked the Palestinians what they thought of giving their country to an immigrant identity. Anyway, the reasons the Jews even left their home countries was because of something known as anti-Semitism, which was a sort of religious discrimination practiced by Christian identities and Islamic identities against the Jews. Most European regimes back then, especially Russia, practiced it. Before going as far as the Middle East, the Jews first tried to enter their own European countries, but they were soon turned out by the anti-immigration laws there. The Ottomans, who ruled Palestine, were concerned because of this Jewish immigration in mass. They thought that since this immigration was predominantly from Russia, this would increase Russian influence in the region. Hence, even they tried to stop the Jews, but hypocritical European nations kept pushing Jews into Palestine on and on. Then, in the First World War, two contradictory British diplomatic instruments came to fore. The McMahon Hussein correspondences, which talked about making Palestine, Saudi Arabia, and all of the current Arab states into one solitary Arab nation. And the second one, the Balfour Declaration, declared the establishment of a Jewish homeland in Palestine after the war. Yet again, of course, the British Imperials masterfully kept none of these promises and sparked yet another endless war. Then, when the Ottomans lost World War I, the British Mandate of Palestine was set up, which did not aim to prevent immigration. And this led to a spike in Palestinian and Arab nationalism in the region as a reaction to Zionism, which was increasing its influence. As Hitler came to power in Germany, this Jewish immigration from Europe doubled. In 1937, the Peel Commission, another British undertaking, advised a two-state solution for the first time, an Israel and a Palestine. 
British colonials did not seem to have too many other bright ideas, as we can see from the examples of India and Pakistan as well. The terrible idea as it was, this solution was nearly accepted. Because during the Second World War, certain Palestinian leaders began siding with the Nazis. And post the war, civil war-like conditions threatened the safety of Palestine itself. This was not being helped by the large amount of illegal immigration being carried out by the Yushuv, who were Jewish residents of Palestine. As if things could not get worse. But then the United Nations decided to formalize demands for two states by creating a resolution, which was ultimately accepted with certain changes, making two different countries, Israel and Palestine. So after more than eight wars, Israel is once again attacking Palestine in 2021. Now, what could possibly be the reason for all of this destruction? Power, fear, and beneath it all, politics. The Palestine-Israel conflict is quite similar to another age-old, somewhat less intense conflict, India and Pakistan. Just like Palestine and Israel, India and Pakistan were once together, a single nation. Then, under British control, while trying to exercise their autonomy, they underwent a messy partition with controls set up by a United Nations Commission. The reason the Indian partition took place was majorly due to the greed for power and fear. Muslims feared that in India their rights would not be respected and their culture would be submerged under the Hindu tide. That they would become second-class citizens to the majority Hindus. Similarly, in Palestine, the Jews feared that since they were a minority, their rights would not be protected. They felt that they would become second-class citizens to the majority Arabs. And hence, in both cases, two states were formed, and a sort of war came as a repercussion. The 1948 war, as it's called in both regions. So what is happening right now? What's with Muhammad al-Kurd and his compatriots? And why is this a potential genocide? Probably the questions you're asking. So looking at the very recent events, it all began with Jerusalem, like literally every other religious war in the Middle East. On May 7th, 2021, the Israeli Supreme Court began deciding on the eviction claims of Palestinians from their homes in Sheikh Jarrah. This was based on Israeli laws, which allowed Jews to claim land which they had held prior to 1948 when the war took place. But the same was not allowed to non-Jews despite their hardships as well. And if things could not get even worse, these apartheid laws were enforced by all sorts of state mechanisms, including DNA testing for Judaism, which was the most eccentric. According to Israel, Judaism isn't just a religion, it's an ethnicity, which is something clearly scientifically wrong. There is no genetic difference between Jews and Arabs in Palestine, only between European Jewish immigrants and Palestinian Jews. When thousands of Palestinian protesters gathered at the Al-Aqsa Mosque on the eve of the derogatory Jerusalem Day, which marks the capturing of Jerusalem from Palestinian control, Israeli police and forces stormed the compound. As infighting intensified, the Israeli PM, Benjamin Netanyahu, called in the army on May 12th. Hamas in retaliation to the hundreds of killings of Arabs in Jerusalem, started firing missiles into Israel. The IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, began doing the same in retaliation to Palestine in greater and greater frequency, as it continues to this day. But Palestine 
is not hummus. Even though all sorts of media channels might be telling you how Palestine fired rockets or how Palestine is retaliating, it is really the Hamas which retaliates since the Palestine Liberation Organization, the recognized government of Palestine by most international organizations and authorities, has not fired any rockets. Therefore, when Israel starts firing rockets at Palestinian civilians, it isn't injuring the Hamas, which is a radical Islamist terrorist group. It's just harming Palestinian civilians, making orphans, widows, widowers. You may still not be convinced that there is a difference between Palestine and Hamas. However, this very distinction has been made in history before by the United States of America itself between the Afghani government and the Taliban government in Afghanistan. Though the Taliban virtually controls Afghanistan, there is still an Afghan government which is recognized in international authority. The IDF began on May 14th and May 15th to supposedly invade the Gaza Strip, having already acquired control of the West Bank de facto previously. However, as new reports show, it might have been a play by the Israeli government to try and confuse the Palestinians. Nothing can be told for certain. Now, why would we call this a genocide? Primarily because Israel has, from the past, coveted the West Bank as its own, even though it is Palestinian territory. Secondly, bit by bit, it has been encroaching territory of the Gaza Strip. Thirdly, many scholars claim that Israel plans to turn Gaza Strip into an open-air concentration camp, slowly as it is already, cutting off all its ties with the outer world and placing more and more refugees in smaller and smaller places. Additionally, with a military and technological superiority of Israel, nothing short of an international intervention would be able to prevent a genocide, and Israel has already been disregarding international law. According to the UNHRC, it has violated more than 35% of the Geneva Convention prior to this conflict. When we talk about what Israel is really doing to Palestinians on the ground, many thousands of Palestinians have been forcibly displaced. Israel is already an apartheid state. Israeli forces have also been assassinating Palestinian leaders by drones and other strikes for years. And on multiple occasions, Israeli officials have made statements of an apartheid-like and somewhat genocidal intent. They've always been pushing the 7 million refugees from Palestine out and out of their borders, putting them in detention centers, or finally, in the hellhole that is Gaza. Certainly, this has all the possibilities of developing into a genocide, complete with the concentration camps and the propaganda. But how can we stop this? In the short run, it seems like there is only one possible solution. International intervention. There are three levels of international intervention which we practice in hierarchical order so as to give Israel a chance to back down and explain itself. Firstly, political. International and social outcry over the human rights abuses and violations caused by the IEDF. The US and its allies must remove its support from Israel. And this outcry would essentially provide the background for Israel's worsening relations with the rest of the world, isolating Israel further from its necessary allies in its game for Middle Eastern acceptance and domination. Secondly, economic. Sanctions and embargoes must be placed by the UNGA resolutions on Israel. The Geneva Convention has already been broken, which is tantamount to such an action. 
And trade with Israel would provide an economic incentive to stop this genocide. And finally, military. The United Nations Security Council must decide to intervene on behalf of international law in Israel. While I myself have never espoused military interventionism as a global policy, at this venture, Israel leaves the United Nations with no other choice. When the United States of America comes down against Israel, which is highly unlikely, noting the USA's previous selective truths and hypocrisy, Israel will back down. Of course, without all of this, it's all up to the whims of the IDF. But what about a long-term solution? A long-term solution to the conflict, which I really do propound, is the state of Izratin. Now, Izratin is the working name for an idea of a one-state solution to this conflict. A portmanteau of the words Israel and Palestine, Izratin is a state formed out of the unification of Israel, West Bank, and the Gaza Strip. This government would become democratic, providing equal rights and responsibility, be a person Jew or Muslim, Arab or European. Critics, however, feel that this would inevitably spiral into the anti-state of Israel, apartheid against the minority, against apartheid against the majority, Arabs instead of Jews. It would only inflame the conflict for ages to come. However, that is going to happen if we just let the conflict run its course. We either have two states which have conflicts every four or five years, or we have an Israeli-Palestine in which Jews instead of Arabs form a sort of oligarchy, like what happened in South Africa. In no possibility do Arabs ever come on top of Jews. Arabs, due to their technological disadvantage in Palestine, can never come on top. Therefore, Arabs will place priority upon the equality of rights and allow such concessions to take place. Other apologists of the two-state solution believe it is the right to self-determination of the Jews to set up such a state. However, this argument really doesn't stand, since most Jews in Israel are not Israeli and they are usually second-generation Israeli immigrants. In other words, that's like the Sikhs coming to the UK and declaring a separate state for themselves in Wales. Additionally, this entire rhetoric rests in the belief that Jews require a separate state because of their religion anymore. But does every religion require a state where it is a majority? In that case, what if atheists decided to take over Palestine after immigrating and intermixing with the local atheist Arabs and Europeans? Would that be fair? Would they now have the right to set up their own country? And by the way, atheists are more persecuted than Jews. That's why we need the third road out of this conflict, Izratin. So, what can we do? Raise our voices on social media, bringing an international outcry on the issue. Question the media and our governments about their hypocrisy. The decrying of the Uyghur crisis, but not the Palestinian one. We must prevent another Israeli invasion of the Gaza Strip. What we need is a revolution beyond borders. Palestine chokes in the grasp of Israel, never accepting the supposed concessions it is given. Since, as the Palestinian poet Mahmoud Darwish once said, the days have taught you not to trust happiness because it hurts when it deceives. Support us at Veritas Populi in spreading the facts, the flip side and the face of things by liking and following our podcast. Share it with your friends and family and spread the truth because the truth belongs to the people.